Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very creative individual from Bangalore, India, Kamini Rao. Kamini, welcome to the show. Hi, Ashutosh. It's really nice to be on here. I've been enjoying a few of your videos for me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Kamini is the founder and creative director of Studio Slip, which uh, in uh, her own words is a fun young interior and set design studio that creates collective experiences using art and architecture. So Kamini, let's talk about Studio Slip today. Tell me about this venture and what was your motivation to start it? Um, so I started Studio Slip in late 2017 and early 2018 i had worked for two years in a in a very high-end luxury interior design studio and um the course that i studied i, I studied in london and i studied a very uh, crazy course called spatial design and we were encouraged to do anything mm-hmm. and so when i came back to india i when i left my first job i wanted to do anything and there wasn't any other studios doing a variety of projects. So that's how I broke out and started doing it on my own. Mm-hmm. I started freelancing. It became quite successful. So now I run a fully uh, equipped team of architects and designers. Okay. Um, so that's how I started, just to be able to do uh, anything I want to do. Wonderful. So, you know, you mentioned that you uh, did a course in spatial design. For my understanding and for a lot of our viewers and listeners, what is spatial design? And tell me about your journey as a spatial designer. All right. So um, spatial design means anything 3D. Um, You can do furniture design. You can do interiors. You can do architecture. You can do sets and exhibitions. um, You can do sculpture space. You occupy space. And as long as you're designing that occupied space, it can mean anything. So I like the term because it's quite, uh, it doesn't constrict you to any sort of uh, particular field. And as a spatial designer, I, I would say that a lot of the work that I do is interior design. But um, as you know, I do a lot of exhibitions. I do a lot of sets for ad films. And th- those desks don't necessarily fit under the interior design bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, when I first started out, I, the first two projects I got when I left my first job was to do two uh, ad film sets. And that definitely in my portfolio didn't uh, come under interior design. So as soon as I did those two projects, I've claimed to be a spatial designer. Okay, very interesting. And nothing else. Wonderful. And, uh, you know, from the perspective of you being a startup uh, entrepreneur also, if I can use that, for a lot of our startup entrepreneurs who will listen to our show, what have been some of your key learnings um, as you have built Studio Slip? So the interesting thing about being a startup entrepreneur who's gone to art school is that we were never trained to 
you know, didn't even do math for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So I think my biggest learning has been, and it's progressive, but my biggest learning has to, has been a lot to do with the accounts and the admin. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is also people management, which is again, a skill that you learn more on the job than definitely not in art school. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I've grown better as a boss. I've grown better as someone who can manage people and I definitely now don't have a choice I have to have all my books in order as well so it's been a huge learning curve from just the design aspect to also the the business aspect wonderful what a great message that you need to be able to understand money and people to be able to manage a business isn't it yeah Wonderful. So, Kavani, you know, you have built giant cakes, designed cozy mountain homes, created fake airplanes and architect a house for a doll. How have you managed so much diversity? Gosh, um, it's bonkers. I'll admit that we're all running around like hell. do it in three weeks but the skill set remains the same if I have to design a house Mm -hmm. a cozy mountain home or a fake airplane I'm using AutoCAD I'm doing the measurements correctly Mm -hmm. we're costing out everything we're pinking out the paint selections Mm -hmm. but it's more the timeline that changes so the skill set remains we still have the same team of interior designers and architects and we're doing all the same uh, things we do but in just a very very short timeline mm-hmm. so we really enjoy doing the homes because they take a year a year and a half to complete mm-hmm. and so we have a lot of time to design but when you're doing something like a, a cake or an airplane for an ad film you're given a script and you're given nothing else mm-hmm. so we are making it up very quickly in two days and then just rushing out to get it built mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's quite an interesting use of our skill set in a very, very different way. Fascinating. And uh, where do you get the motivation to get such a different designs? I mean, I think that I would be quite bored uh-huh. if I wasn't doing something different, uh, you know, every quarter. So what we try to do is we try to do a lot of um, a lot of our income comes from residential projects and commercial projects, and so I seek out uh, one exciting project every quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so this quarter we've uh, worked on an exhibition design at the National Center for Biological Sciences, mm-hmm. and so that's that's our exciting project that we get to work on alongside our other more commercial projects. Okay. And, Last year, we went all the way to uh, Arunachal Pradesh, very close to the China border to do a pop-up museum. Mm. So it's almost, I wouldn't compare it to a CSR initiative, but I would say that it's a, uh, a low, in, it sort of, it doesn't give us too much income, but they're passion projects. And mm. I make sure I schedule them into a year when we're planning it out. Okay. Uh, So moving on now, you designed a vaccination plant in Tanzania. What was it like to uh, work in a different country? Um, So Tanzania was uh, an amazing experience. Uh, I only got to go there once. We were meant to go uh, twice, but uh, because it happened through COVID, 
uh, we were only got our permissions to go in December. So a lot of our designs and drawings were done, uh, you know, through email and video call just like this mm -hmm. uh, with an architecture team in Tanzania. Mm -hmm. um, when I actually got to go in December, it was surreal. It was very, very uh, interesting. It was definitely the industrial area of uh, Dar es Salaam. So uh, in Bangalore, it would be the equivalent of Pina. I'm not sure what the equivalent mm -hmm. like would be in Delhi, mm -hmm. but uh, definitely not glamorous at all very very industrial and hard-working conditions and very hot mm. um, I think communication wasn't a problem at all what was interesting and challenging was the skill set the labor skill set I the Tanzanian people are very good with woodworking but maybe more newer technologies like laser cutting or any uh, any other sort of uh, work was quite difficult for them to do. So we had to change our designs around very quickly to make sure it was something they were capable of doing in a high quality and very short timeline. Uh, but yeah, it was amazing to work uh, for, for in the medical field, especially with what's going on. Currently. I know, I know. And vaccination plants do need a lot of uh, care because of you know the, the kind of medicine or the vaccines that are being produced there correct uh, and what was it like culturally to work in uh, such a different environment i do have to say it was very similar to it was very i wouldn't very similar to india um firstly you have a huge 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 gujarati population over there mm -hmm. um so that in itself you almost feel like a culture shock i felt sometimes i was in gujarat mm -hmm. or Ahmedabad. Um, but other, but where, where we were, we were in the industrial areas. Mm -hmm. uh, we had just an amazing, amazing team of architects and scientists. They also got very involved because we were designing mm -hmm. the spaces that they would work out of. Right. And uh, they were lots of fun. I was there during Christmas time. Mm -hmm. So I got invited to lots of uh, dinners and drinks and um they were very friendly, very hospital, and it's a beautiful, beautiful country. I agree. It is. It is. So my next question to you is that when you work in educational spaces, what are some of the factors uh, or design constraints you have to keep in mind? Um, so we have just done three educational spaces. Um, uh, the big one that we're doing right now is for Azim Premji University and um, that's been a little tough because that has actually it been through lockdown. So it's been two years of work and we've gone through two lockdowns and uh, it we can't start. I mean, campuses have slowly started coming in, but des the designs we did pre-COVID may not apply to uh, today's circumstances of social distancing. Mm. So we've had to do a lot of like, uh, quick measures to make sure that desks are put apart, um, that we have enough glass partitions, that we have a sort of sanitizing unit before you enter. Mm -hmm. And so those designs were done pre-COVID and we've had to quickly shuffle around because all these university kids are not vaccinated. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe the slightly older ones, but um, as soon as class starts, we want to make sure our spaces are safe for them. But are you saying that uh, these educational institutions are making permanent arrangements for managing COVID with all these glass partitions or is it a temporary phase? 
Well, this institution in particular is currently in construction. So we had the ability to, um, to start separating things out. I wouldn't say the same for institutions that have already, already exist mm -hmm. and maybe you know just be pulling tables apart and things like that. But in this particular instance, we had the ability uh, and the opportunity and the budget to sort of uh, change things quite last minute to make sure it works for the safety of the students. Which means your space requirements must have gone up significantly if you're going to keep two meters between every student. We actually lost a lot of space, you're right. Um, we lost a lot of space. The area that I'm working in is not, uh, I can't speak for the entire university, but we're working on a very specialized digital media lab. Mm -hmm. And so that has very few students to begin with okay. uh, because it's a very specialized unit. And we did, we, we did lose a lot of space. So mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, they won't get to pack in as many students as they were initially planning to. Um, and that's okay because sooner, um, maybe in the future, we'll take another floor mm. and uh, get more space. But at the in the meantime, we have uh, we've done what we could. <laughs> Absolutely, I agree. So my next question to you is, you know, about millennials and the Gen Zs, and you are in the same category. But <laughs> but you know, uh, I find that the demands or needs of the younger generation in their residential the interiors are very, very different from people of my vintage. Uh, what do you think are the change, uh, changing demands of the younger generation? And how are you handling some of these? All right. Um, wow, firstly, I'm, I'm a millennial. I know very few Gen Z. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that I have some very specific requirements. One of them, for example, like you is to have proper light coming in because now we're doing a lot of online classes mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, I think Gen Z has more particular demands. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's coming from uh, a sustainable angle. I mm -hmm. think they're more concerned about the environment, which is good. We, we do want to be uh, more concerned about climate change. So mm -hmm. they're looking at more sustainable products uh, in their furniture, we're using more local wood uh, and more vernacular techniques. And I think they're encouraging that. Mm. Um, the older generation, um, you know, they have an affinity to look for designs from the West. Mm -hmm. And uh, although we are more global in our design aesthetic, I think Gen Z and millennials are looking at uh, a lot more simpler, minimal and local sort of uh, uh, furniture and products. Very interesting. And in terms of, uh, you know, the older generation also spends a lot of money on arts and artifacts in their homes. Uh, I find the younger, uh, the homes of younger people are far more basic Zen or whatever terms you want to give it. Uh, what are your thoughts? I agree with you, but I also think that comes from like what a young person wants to spend their money on. They definitely want to travel and rather than spend money on decorating their home. You're right, it's very, very minimal. And I feel like me, uh, as an example, I definitely had a very bare room and a very bare office. But mm -hmm. as I grow old, I'm, I am starting to collect uh, artifacts and art from my peers. I think that interest comes after you travel a bit, you see something that you want to keep as a souvenir. Um, I think 
Gen Z will slowly get there. I don't think we're going to go minimal in the future. I think Gen Z will just grow out of it mm. and start collecting more and hoarding more. I think we do that as we get older. Wonderful. Well, that's very heartening to note because I often tell my children, you know, we have a large art collection and you always tell them every time you go back to your respective countries, take a piece of art and they say we have no interest. So oh, hearing <laughs> from you gives me some hope. <laughs> so my next question to you, Kamini, and I think I have time for two or three more questions. What are some of the changes you've been implementing in your residential in three years after COVID-19? Um, so our residential designs uh, with COVID, I think one of the problems and one of the uh, things that all our clients complain about is actually just this view. Uh, when when we're doing when they're doing video calls or business calls or even classes with the kids, mm. it's always a messy bed in the background. Mm. And to be honest, I don't have that perfect view. Before mm. this call with you, I was scrambling trying to look around for mm-hmm. uh, my house is twenty five years old. I haven't done it up, even though I'm a designer. But I scramble to find good lighting and a view where you wouldn't see. Mm. Uh, you know, the everyday chaos. And so that's something that I've definitely, definitely uh, tried to keep in mind in all my residential projects. Mm. So um, one uh, one is lighting. I think that's hugely important. The mm. other is to have a quiet, secluded uh, space where there's no noise, where there's uh, no view of a bed or a bedroom. And you can do this even in the tighter spaces. Mm. Um, and another thing that we are, I think Bangalore is growing quite a bit and we're getting a lot more apartments. Bangalore is known for its space and its bungalows, but we are on the outskirts of the city getting a lot more mm-hmm. smaller, tighter, compact apartment buildings. And so these things in those spaces make, uh, you know, make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, would it be right uh, to assume, and this is based on some conversations I've had, that the uh, demand now for housing is for larger apartments because every young person who's buying or every young couple who's buying are factoring in space for uh, a work uh, or or a work from home kind of an office uh, for both the individuals. Do you see that happening as well? I think so. I think that people are looking at three to four BHKs where earlier they were quite content with, uh, you know, a larger two BHK or even a studio apartment. Mm -hmm. I don't see how studio apartments or these one BHKs will work out uh, so well in the future. They're great for when you're young, when you're a student or you're doing an internship. Uh, But in terms of a long term investment, they just don't make sense anymore. you know, my uh, I'm in construction, so it means that I don't have an option of work from home. Uh, right. My team comes to work. We all go to our sites, but the rest of my family, it's been two years and they're very, very con- like content with not going back to work. Mm. Um, but it does mean we've done a lot of makeshift uh, spaces. Our guest room is no more. Uh, we mm. don't have guests. It's definitely become a workspace. Correct. And... Uh, I do see, I mean, I'm not close to buying an apartment right now, uh, maybe in a few years, but I would be looking for that spare room. Mm. I I don't even think it would be for a future child. It would be as my workspace. Mm. 
It's fascinating. And I've got time for one more question and I was trying to debate what to ask you. But you did mention that uh, you are using a lot of uh, local material now. Uh, tell me what kind of local material are you using? And is are you using this because of the, for demand from your customers or is just more efficient? Um, so this is a very interesting question because what actually happened during the first lockdown is we had a shortage of labor and we just didn't have enough. A lot of our material in Bangalore, Bangalore specific, comes from, is being imported from Gujarat and Mumbai and is coming into the city. So we were had a huge shortage of tiles. We had a huge shortage of um, a, whole, a whole range of things. And so what we had to do was we immediately started looking at Chetanad. We started looking more, when I mean local, I don't say Bangalore, but I say- Yeah, I know, in around you, yeah. Yeah, so we started using more Chetanad Atnaguri tiles in our projects, and uh, and even though it, uh, it, it to some people it seems old fashioned, we've tried to make it cool again. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at newer. There's a very interesting uh, a company called Carbon Craft where they take pollution and they have it uh, they have it turned into ink that's used in tiles. Mm-hmm. And so they're based in, uh, Goa and Karnataka. And so we started sourcing from them a lot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, down Shivaji Nagar, Kane's very popular right now, Ratan and Kane. And so we have our local vendors, uh, in Shivaji Nagar who just make, uh, Kane and lights for us. So it's, it happened, be- I do have to say it happened because of lockdown. But it's a trend that I want to continue, I think is really nice. I've discovered a lot more uh, artists in, uh, in around the region. We have this beautiful um, uh, Chanapatna artist who makes lamps and contemporary uh, interior decor mm-hmm. items from those Chanapatna toys. Mm-hmm. And I wow. think they're so wonderful. I started using them in all my projects. And this honestly has only happened because there was a deficit and it forced me to look around. And now I don't want to change the habit at all. I want to continue being local. Oh, fascinating. And I must mention to you that, you know, 38 years ago when my wife and I set up our first home in Calcutta, it was full of cane. Oh, cane was very, very big in those days. Then it seemed to have disappeared. And I'm happy to learn that it's coming back now. But I hope you kept all your key items. No, they don't last <laughs> so long. <laughs> but uh, Kamini, on that note, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for talking to me about Studio Slip, about the amazing work that you're doing in, you know, really crafting some amazing new interiors. Thank, thank you again and good luck. Thank you so much, Ashutosh. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.